Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Hey guys, uh, today it is just me that's going to be talking. Um, the reason for this is that um, while I love having guests, what I have found, um, in the, especially in the last couple of months, is that there's just a lot of people that are looking for jobs. Um, of course, there's the people that have been laid off that are looking, people that are furloughed that are looking, but there's also been a huge uptick in people that are just looking to make a leap. COVID has made them sort of rethink um, or want to prepare for the worst. And so long story short, I have been deluged with people um, coming to me and probably also my colleagues with um, questions and, you know, really looking for some help. So I try to give as much help as I can um, by responding to emails and direct messages and LinkedIn and all that, but I thought that this might be a really good forum to sort of answer some common questions that I get. So, you know, the questions are fast and furious, but what I'll say is they tend to fall into three main categories. The first has to do with, you know, how long should my resume be, which then also leads to the uh, next question, which is, I have so much experience, how can I possibly fit it all onto X number of pages? The second bucket of questions that I hear a lot or am answering a lot about are, um, you have to do with the screeners, applicant tracking software systems. Um, So I will talk a lot about that. Um, And then the last question that I am often fielding is, Everyone says I need to customize my resume, but I'm not sure how in the world to do that. So I want to make sure to use this podcast today to chat about that. So three different buckets. Um, Once you hear it, if you have additional questions, please email me via francoresumes at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on all the socials. because what I'm going to start doing is gathering more questions officially so that I can use this forum to answer as many as possible. Um, So let's just at the top, let's start with the whole length thing and then talk about how in the world to make sure that lots of years of experience fits into that. So I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, your resume really should be one page. What I found is that a lot of people think that because that's what they are taught when they first get out of school, when they're you know young, have a couple years of experience. By and large, when you have five years or less of work experience under your belt, I do my best to keep it to one page. But once you've gotten past that point, then two pages is perfectly acceptable. There are no hard, fast rules when it comes to resume writing. It's as long as it needs to be. The problem is, is that because so many people struggle with what to put and what to take out, they put everything in there and then it's way too long. Um, And so what I found is that two pager is 
that's probably what 99.9% of my resumes that are over five years of experience, most of them are two-page resumes. There are rare occasions when I will go on to a three-pager. Usually it's when I want to have sort of what I call addendum information. So as an example, let's say that you are a big thought leader or you speak at a lot of conferences. I might have a page that shares, you know, here's where I did presentations. Here are some keynotes that I gave. Um, here are some places where my stuff was published. Um, that might be an example of a third page. Another example might be, let's say you are um, a consultant and your two-page resume sort of talks about the highlights, but then you want to sort of show here are case studies that I did. So that third page might be a bunch of cases. Another example, um, I did this recently, someone who was a mergers and acquisitions person. So he had a deal sheet where he listed, these are all the different kinds of deals that I did. So we put that on the third page. But by and large, the bulk of the experience I have found can go into two pages. And when you stick to two pages, um, what you do is you help to mitigate pushing off people that are sort of ADD about this stuff where they might look at a three-page resume and go, oh, this is way too long. Um, what I found interesting, and I cannot remember the source now, but there was a study a couple years back that looked, talked to several hiring managers and they interviewed a bunch of recruiters and they said, what is your preference, a one or a two-page resume? The vast majority of those people said one pagers. But then when they went back and looked at, well, what percentage of people that of the people that they hired, what percentage had one page resumes versus two? The clear majority had two pagers. So sort of the takeaway is, yeah, you think you like two pager one pagers, but you hire two people with two pagers. And that's because it's really, really hard to fit in you know, years of blood, sweat, and tears onto one page without cramming in all the information or making your bullet, you know, your margins so slim that it's just way, way too tough of a read. So this segues into the next question, which is how in the world do you cover, you know, 20, 30, 40 plus years of experience onto two pages? So I'll tell you my strategy that has worked time and time again. Generally speaking, and of course, as I said before, it always depends. There are no, no hard, fast rules to this. But by and large, the last 15-ish years are what are most critical to and most relevant to um, the reader today. Um, so what I will do is I will devote the majority of the two pages of real estate to the accomplishments from, you know, right now we're at the end of 2020. So I will focus on 2005 forward. But that doesn't mean that I don't include the earlier stuff, especially when it's really relevant to what you want to do now. So if you have earlier stuff from 2000, 1995, what have you, I always make sure to include it. I create an earlier experience section. And then what I do is I just highlight or greatly synopsize those earlier experiences. If there is room, I will list, you know, where where the person worked and their job title. And I might just touch on, 
maybe the skills they acquired that are relevant to what they are doing today or um, an accomplishment that was just really, really noteworthy that will resonate to the reader based on the person's job target. Um, Sometimes I just want to uh, do some name dropping. So if a person worked with a really well-known company that's, again, relevant to the target, I'll include that. Um, But whenever there is earlier experience on there, Nine times out of 10, what I make sure to do is reference it at the very beginning of the resume in the branding section at the top or that summary section. Because what I don't want is for something that I felt like was important enough to include under earlier experience in page two to be ignored because the person doesn't ever get to page two. Um, So I'll give you an example. Let's say someone is in the military and they served, you know, they served their country and then they retired or they left and then they went on to have a career in business. But the leadership experience that they, you know, acquired when they were in the military is really valuable and it's a big part of who they are today and and how they lead today. What I'll do is I will list that military experience in the earlier experience section and I might reference, um, you know, cemented leadership foundation you know, leading platoons during operation, blah, blah, blah. But then in the summary section, I will reference um, something about like my strategies are grounded in, um, you know, experience as a U.S. Marine Corps officer, something like that. Another time when an earlier experience section is really helpful is when you are trying to maybe pivot to another industry, but the last time you were in a different industry was back when. So showing that earlier experience shows that you have been able to really adapt to new industries quite well. Um, And I have found that's effective because a lot of people struggle a big obstacle that people have when they're trying to make a career change is um, where people say, well, how can you possibly jump into my industry because you've only been in the same industry your whole life? So having that earlier experience section sort of negates that. Um, Another time I'll include it is if you maybe learned a business from the ground up. And so you want to position yourself as someone who is an expert in that industry. The fact that you worked in those sort of entry-level roles and worked your way up to a more senior role, that resonates and it shows that you can walk the walk and talk the talk. So I'll include that experience. And I will say in the summary section at the top that um, you learn the business from the ground up. So what I found is by having that earlier experience section, it really doesn't take up much more room than education, but it enables you to include that earlier blood, sweat, and tears still get the uh, resume, the salient points on two pages. What I won't include are earlier roles that aren't relevant. So if you are an IT professional uh, or software engineer and you scooped ice cream back in 1982, that's not relevant to your job target. So I'm going to not include it. The beauty of it is because you are removing the dates from it, nobody knows exactly when or where it happened. Um, And so there's no concern about gaps or anything like that because all that stuff just the dates are removed. The other good thing about the experience section is that it helps the reader to avoid going into a rabbit hole. What happens to all of us when we start seeing roles that are right now it's much earlier than around 2003-2005. We tend to go into a rabbit hole where we say 
gosh, I wonder how old the person is. I wonder how many kids they have. Just all sorts of side nonsense. And when that happens, you're detracting from the important stuff that you want them to read. You know, studies show that readers look at this stuff for six seconds at the beginning and then upwards of 15 seconds. So either way, it's not a lot. And I don't want three seconds spent in the rabbit hole. And for some reason, synopsizing that experience eliminates that from happening. What's interesting is that on LinkedIn, though, I will include those earlier roles and I will include the dates on them because with LinkedIn, you have to keep on clicking if you're interested in reading earlier roles. So if you are clicking back to the early 2000s, 90s, the rabbit hole phenomenon isn't happening. Um, the other thing that that technique does is it helps to make you timeless on a resume. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I don't want anyone to know if my client is 35 or 85 because it's not important. And synopsizing that experience helps that to occur because nobody really has any sense for how long those earlier experiences were. Okay, so that I hope addresses the bucket of uh, resume length and shut the door because my kids are being loud. Um, uh, hopefully that addresses the resume length stuff and the um, questions around fitting in all that experience onto the appropriate amount of pages. The second thing I want to talk about now are uh, the applicant tracking software systems or ATS. Um, those are the screeners that were put in place in the early, not in the early days, um, were put in place by big companies, HR systems, maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe even longer. It's been a while. Um, but they were designed to help companies to organize the influx of resumes that they were getting when they started being able to accept people applying online. Because back when you used to, you know, before that, you would submit yours by the mail. And so someone had to manually organize it. But when technology advanced and people could start submitting online, the applicant tracking software system allowed people to, to organize it. It was really just a really good filing system. The, as the um, systems advanced, then it became capable of um, doing keyword rankings. So what happens is, and I'm not techie, so I'm explaining this super lamely, but basically the person, um, the person on the other end who's programming it puts in certain keywords that it is looking for in the resume, and then it will um, elevate the person with the most keywords to the top. But um, in addition to keywords, it also looks for certain years of experience. There's just like a bunch of things that it looks for. Um, there, when, so right now there are it's like 200 different applicant tracking software systems. So there are a lot and they all sort of work differently. Um, so all of the um, advice I'm sharing is based on my understanding of how they work as, as a whole. Um, there are always one-offs. And the problem is you don't always know what system you're dealing with. So I just try to give advice based on the lowest common denominator. Um, when you apply online, the system, what it does is it takes your resume and it sort of transforms it into plain text. And it does, and when it does that, it sort of, it starts, it parses everything down and it, 
assigns a point value to all of the criteria that it was programmed to look for. And then it reassembles your resume into the format that you gave it. Um, the older systems had a tough time of breaking down that text and then sort of pulling it back together, which is why there used to be a lot of rules around, um, you know, when I first started, I actually used to create a plain text document and I would um, make it so that there was no way the applicant tracking software system could read it wrong. So there was, so my clients had a word version, a PDF version, and then they'd also have this plain text, uh, A-S-C-I-I, ASCII version. Um, but right now, the systems are much more advanced, so that is not necessary. By and large, the older systems that cannot accept documents in PDF require you to send something in Microsoft Word. Those systems cannot read anything that is in a header and a footer. They can't read anything that's in a text box. Um, any graphic image, anything like that, they can't read. Basically, they take all the text, they strip away all the formatting from it, um, all the shading, all the color, all of that, and it can just read the words on the page that aren't in text boxes and aren't in header and footers. So that means that if you have your contact information in a header, it can't read it. Um, if you use some of those really nifty resume templates that require you to enter information into a box, guess what? It can't read it either. So if you have to send your, if you have to upload your resume via a system that only accepts Word, then you need to make sure to take care of that. Um, the other thing many of those older systems that just take Word can't do is it, it sort of miscalculates how many years you've been working when you have been working for the same company in lots of different roles. Because what, what ATS is trained to do is look at the company name, the title, and then the years next to it. So if you are one of those people that had, you know, you were promoted to a couple different jobs and you just list, you know, let's say I worked at IBM from 2005 to 2015. And then you list your earlier titles, but you don't list, and, and you list when you worked at them, but you don't have the company name next to it the ATS won't associate you having worked with the company. And so basically it doesn't give you credit for that earlier stuff. Um, so what I do to overcome that is I will hide the company name in a lighter font so that um, the system doesn't care what color anything is. Um, it's just looking for those words. So I will sort of insert it in there. The good thing though, is that now systems have advanced and they are taking PDF documents. And how they read PDF is very different. Basically, they take a snapshot of it um, and they can gather all, I, I don't really understand exactly how it works, but I know it has to do with layering in Word versus not layering on PDF. My um, colleague sort of explained it to me. Um, but with PDF, because it's taking an image and it can scan, scan the words in the image, it can read things that when they were in Microsoft Word, it was in the header and footer. It can read things that are in a um, text box. Um, so you don't have to worry about it. But because you don't know what kind of system you're dealing with, I always try to create it as if it was for a Microsoft Word document, recognizing that um, the person can still upload the PDF. 
Um, that is all to say, though, that while I do work to make sure that the resumes I write will get the appropriate amount of credit when submitted online, I'm not a fan of applying online as your first point of entry. Um, the good thing is that AT, you know, a lot of people say you, you don't want to get kicked out by the ATS systems. ATS isn't going to kick you out. It just might not always read things correctly. And so you might get overlooked because, you know, I can't read your name or it didn't give you credit for the number, right number of years, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but even when you have a resume that is rich with keywords and ATS has read it great, you know, has read it with no problems, you're still at a disadvantage when you are applying online as the main way that you are looking for jobs. And that's because of what a lot of people call the hidden job market. Um, the hidden job market is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's because all these jobs exist that nobody posts for. And yeah, while that's part of it, that's really not largely what's going on. What is largely going on, especially at these bigger companies, is that, you know, they have to post their jobs online. It is a, they don't want to appear to be, um, not being equitable. They they want to sort of show that they are trying to give everyone as much of a equal chance as possible. So they will go through the process of getting the posting out, pulling in some names, all of that. But what is happening while that hiring manager is working with HR to create the posting, getting it approved, getting it published on Indeed and LinkedIn and their jobs or job with their website portal, all of that. While that process is going on, the hiring manager knows that they have a need. So guess what they're doing? They're doing what all human beings do. They start saying, hmm, who do I know? Or, hey, guys, who do you know? And so that those discussions are being had in sort of an informational interview fashion. They are casual. Um, you know, they're very casual conversations. They're very informal. But then when the posting comes out, a lot of times people will get a call saying, okay, the posting's coming out now, go post. And so by the time that posting has come out, there's often a really solid pipeline of people that have sort of been pre-qualified. Um, and so your chances of doing well against all those people that have an in with the hiring manager or who have been referred to someone the hiring manager knows, or they've already sort of had those pre-informal conversations, your chances are not as high. It's really hard to overcome that. Um, tapping into that referral market is the best way to land a job. Um, the majority of jobs get filled like that, but they only account for a, they account for a much smaller percentage of people that actually apply to those jobs. So that is your way in. That doesn't mean you don't need a resume that can still be read by applicant tracking software system because you do, because you, but basically you need, so you need your resume to be read by the people, but also by the bots. So I hope that sort of explains the ATS process to you, um, how it's read, how I write it to make sure that you get the maximum credit. Um, if you have any other questions, again, make sure to email me. All right, so now let's move on to the last topic, which is um, resume customization. Yes, you should customize your resume for every job posting. And that's really tough. Um, 
because the idea of writing 15 different resumes is a nightmare. And so what I do when I'm working with a client is I actually say, send me hand, send me a handful of job postings of interest anywhere in the country, but roles that would intrigue you. And so what that allows me to do is to write for you know those because when you're sort once you're clear on your job target, the job postings don't change all that much at their core. Yes, there are little things here and there that might change, but by and large, they don't. Um, so, but that being said, there are certain sections and ways that you can customize your resume, and I'll walk through them. Um, I think first, what might make the most sense is to explain sort of the core components of the resumes I write. And I'll back up, and I've said this before, but people read resumes the same way that you and I read the news when we're in a rush. So think about how you get your news information now, whether you go on Twitter or a news site or your um, you know, look at an old-fashioned newspaper. You scan the headlines, and then if the headline grabs you, you read that first paragraph that follows, which is the lead paragraph. Then, if you're hooked, you will probably save the resume to, or excuse me, the news the news article to read later on when you have more time. And then there's, you know, there's the um, body of the story. Sometimes there's little subheaders that are um, that the journalist uses to break down the content, and then there's a closing paragraph. So there's core components of it. Those first two components, which are the ones that tell you what the stories are going to be about and what you want to come back to when you have more time, the headline and that lead paragraph. Because people read resumes the same way as they do newspaper articles, I make sure to bring those same two components over. So all of my resumes have a headline, um, which in resumes you call a career, a career title. They all have a lead paragraph which in resumes you call the branding paragraph or the summary paragraph. Um, imagine a news article without a headline and without that paragraph. You know, you probably wouldn't read it. Same goes for the resume. Um, but those two sections are where it's super easy to do customization. So the headline is, to me, the easiest place to do to customize. Um, and, and, you know, the one thing I do see with job postings is that people – Companies change the title. Sometimes the titles are wacky. Sometimes it's just sort of a slight change. Um, but when you match the title to the job description, that is a really good way to immediately help the reader connect to the fact that you're a perfect fit. The other thing you can do with the headline is you can add or remove certain words to really you know, set the stage for the reader. So let's say I am in, uh, I'm a, I don't know, I'll think of a name. Uh, you're an IT program manager. So if you see, I say IT program manager, then you are, um, you know, sounds like you can work anywhere. But let's say I wanted to target working at a bank. So I might say financial services IT program manager. Let's say I want to work on cloud transformations. I can manage all sorts of IT projects, but this opportunity or what I really want to do. I just want to help companies get off of, um, you know, the old stuff and get onto the cloud. So I might say IT program manager specializing in cloud transformations. So as you can see, those three different headlines that I gave you, IT program manager, financial services, IT program manager, and IT program manager specializing in cloud transformations, they tell three very, or they set the stage for three very different stories. So that is a super, super easy place to change it. Um, 
with the branding paragraph, there are always little bits of information that you can tweak based on the role that you are targeting. So if the role is focused on cloud transformation, you might want that paragraph to reference that. If you are targeting financial services, you might want to reference that you have worked at a bank in that paragraph. So you sort of see how making minor, adding or subtracting words in that paragraph um, to back up sort of how you're describing yourself in your headline, that's a really, really great way to to customize the resume. Uh, Another place, sometimes what I'll do is if someone is looking to break into an industry that they're new at, and um, I want to sort of show why this is a logical leap, I will add a sentence about it. So as an example, I wrote for someone the other day who was trying to make they had worked for a Fortune 100 as an R&D group manager, and they had spent years and years volunteering um, in animal welfare organizations, and they wanted to work in nonprofit. So what I did for that, well, they were torn if they wanted to do nonprofit or, um, you know, work for another company. So what I had was a sentence that the person could, that my client could add in and out saying, um, what are the, it was something like, long time volunteer at Bay Area shelters um, doing spay and neuter clinics or something like that. I had a sentence that sort of spoke directly to wanting to work with pets that the person could easily remove when they wanted to target corporate America. Um, so those two sections headline and, the, and that summary paragraph or branding paragraph, those are two places where it's super easy to change. The other piece where you can make edits is to the skill section. I usually put a skill section right below the branding paragraph, right before I start the experience section. And this is a core list of hard skills that relate to your job. Um, the, a great couple of places to get skills um, to figure out what, you know, what's, what, what are the best skills. Um, there's three places you can go. What I usually do and what I used to do my whole life was I would go to the job postings. At the bottom of the job postings, there were always qualifications. And that's where you would always see um, the hard skills that someone needed. Um, They also always used to list soft skills, but soft skills you need to imply in your sentences. You don't list them. So you're not going to say great communicator in your communication skills in your your skills. But to go back to that program manager role, you might say um, that you worked with, you know, Azure, uh, AWS, and, um, oh God, now I can't remember the name of the other um, cloud service, but um, you might say AWS cloud transformation. That might be a hard skill. Um, the second place that's a really good place to get skills is JobScan. It's, it's a great tool to, you know, put, a, put in a job description and um, try to get, try to make, or put in your resume and tell them your job target and it'll tell you where your skills are matching and give you some other ones. And then the third one that I discovered, thanks to a colleague of mine, um, works if you have LinkedIn Premium and it's LinkedIn's resume building tool where you go to your you go to your homepage, you go to your picture, and then there's a little button that says more and you click on resume. And then you type in the job title you're interested in and it lists all the posts, all the skills right there that you need to make sure to include. Um, also, a fourth thing, I didn't even think about this, is that LinkedIn, um, a lot of the LinkedIn easy apply job postings actually list a bunch of the skills right at the bottom. So those are fabulous. Um, but in any event, um, 
sometimes companies call things slightly different. So I might, based on a particular um, role, I might sub in one um, one skill for another. And I'm just trying to think of an example. Um, so some companies might want um, to go to the IT program management. They might want someone with agile experience. And then the next resume or the next job posting might say agile scrum. So I, depending on what that company calls it or how they reference it in the job posting, I might edit it in and out. And then lastly, um, I don't do this too often, but I think it's important to note um, what the experience, um, you know, to me, the experience is the experience. It really doesn't change that much, especially when you are pretty clear on your job target. But what I would say is I always make sure when I have a list of bullets, I always make sure that the first one that the person sees is what is most impactful, um, because I recognize that skim readers often don't get past the first bullet on those first passes. So based on your job target, you know which of your bullets are probably most will resonate greatest with that reader. So make sure to swap it out for um, for that particular audience. So those so the headline, the paragraph, the skills, and then the order of the bullets, those are the best ways for you to customize. Um, so I hope that I have answered the majority of questions that have come in to me as of late, um, if you have any other questions or there's something that you would like me to talk about um, the next time on this show, let me know. You can, again, email me at vafrancoresumes at gmail.com. Shoot me a DM on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook, um, and I would love to hear from you. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online CM hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.